So the first question is on polarization. So we started a strong Canada. You, you might know this to combat what we saw as increased political polarization. Mm -hmm. uh, see it as a big problem. I feel very passionately about this. History tells us that when societies are more polarized, they collapse. So if we can do stuff about that, we should. Arnold Chan, uh, the MP who, who passed recently, he pointed to that in that very moving speech that we should be open to collaborating between parties and mm -hmm. stuff, good stuff. So if you are the NDP leader, mm -hmm. what will you do to help with increasing polarization? What will you do to help depolarize the political mm -hmm. landscape? So yeah, no, I think it's a very important question. I mean, I would say that I'm very concerned about the rise of hate and uh, intolerance in Canadian politics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, uh, clearly we saw in the conservative leadership race the way in which Trump-like politics and Trump-like ideas uh, inspired folks here at home. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and really, I think that, that also uh, um, crushes the myth that somehow in Canada we're different, we're more tolerant or we're, more, uh, we're better than the U.S., right? Um, it's clear to me that, that, uh, uh, that, that we have a lot of work to do here. Yeah. Uh, I think the NDP can play a key role in, de, um, uh, well, in, in, in taking on the politics of hate. Uh, and... Um, First of all, by denouncing that kind of politics, making it clear that, uh, you know, what Kelly Leach was proposing, what a number of conservatives, and frankly, I mean, even some of the things that Andrew Shear has talked about are just uh, are just not on. We'll get to that. Um, and uh, uh, but secondly, also uh, uh, bringing greater unity by taking on uh, the kinds of uh, socioeconomic challenges that many Canadians are facing. Right. And and I think that's uh, you know we know that when societies become more unequal they 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 can become more uh, divided uh, and uh, you know you can you see scapegoating racism Islamophobia misogyny all of these kinds of things be turned to that's a good and, thought um, so yeah. it, um, my interpretation of that is that you're you're almost saying that this polarization is driven by economic things yeah, I mean, and many have said that. Uh, I would say socioeconomic, right? And, and the fact that, uh, for example, we are becoming more unequal. Uh, the fact that our generation as millennials is is uh, is a, is experiencing a kind of intergenerational inequality we've never seen before. Yeah. And uh, and so what we're saying is is what I believe. Uh, it needs to happen is that we address that kind of inequality, uh, address the need for greater social. Um, wellness and cohesion, mm. uh, but all the while denouncing hate and making it clear that that kind of politics is, uh, is, is very dangerous. So the next thing I wanted to ask about is okay. the Leap Manifesto. Um, I glanced at it. I, you know, I've read a lot of Naomi Klein. I love No Logo. Um, you're the candidate that's really closely associated with the Leap Manifesto. And even though most people haven't read it, they seem to have strong opinions on it. So what do you think the biggest misconceptions are that people have about the Leap Manifesto? Mm. That was, that's the second one. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, uh, uh, first of all, uh, you know, as I've indicated time and time again, I support the principles of the Leap Manifesto. Uh, I think, Which are? Uh, I mean, taking on inequality, taking on climate change, these have been core part uh, pillars in our campaign mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean obviously I think the mainstream media has uh, uh, has done a very uh, good job of, of twisting uh, what what leap is about that uh, that it's uh, against uh, good jobs or that it's about uh, vilifying uh, certain industries for example the oil and gas industry uh, you know and, and obviously there's some strong positions within leap with respect to extraction, with respect to oil and gas, uh, but uh, uh, but I think we also need to see uh, the importance of a conversation and, and action to take on climate change as, as really the 
the most important thing coming out of it. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been really taken aback by the way in which mainstream media uh, not only deals with LEAP, but also, frankly, with climate change. I mean, like, if you look at what's been happening the last few days, uh, last few weeks, right? I mean, climate change is wreaking havoc um, on our country and our continent. And, uh, you know, very rarely do you end up hearing the connection between what we're seeing um, climate-wise and, and climate change. So, you know, like on other things, I mean, what, what the mainstream media says or certainly the frame that they're trying to whip up is, uh, is I think, one that, uh, that we have to challenge. Hmm. I, I want to talk to you about climate change. I'm actually going to skip ahead um, mm -hmm. a few questions because it's just super relevant. So one of our Twitter people, uh, a conservative friend, reached out with a question for you, and it, um, it's a good one. So it's about climate change, and, and this person, she believes it, that climate change is real and that it's man-made. She's a conservative and she's worried about people in her own party. And she uh, basically asked the question, um, she says, you know, in the 90s, it was all about environmentalism and environmental policy. And that was like a nonpartisan issue. Everyone across the board agreed that environmentalism was important and we needed to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And now, fast forward 20 years, and it's all about climate change. Uh, is it real? Is it not real? And, and it's this big war that, in large mm. part, uh, lobbyists and the media, in part, have drummed up. So now we're sort of caught up in this war over whether climate change is actually happening. Um, I don't know, the evidence says that, obviously, it is happening. Mm -hmm. um, but the, her question was, with that, all of that preamble, <laughs> do you think there's any value in sort of moving away from the terminology of climate change in order that we depolarize that conversation and bring it back to broader... Uh, emphasis on just caring for the environment. Um, I mean, I think you know the the right and, and lobbyists will will always come up with a reason to um, uh, to challenge the idea that uh, human uh, actions are creating um, uh, weather phenomena that we haven't seen before and that are are uh, are wreaking havoc. So, so I, I don't think we should change the terminology. For that reason, uh, I think accurate terminology is always really important. I mean, we used to talk about global warming. Well, I mean, what's most appropriate to talk about is is climate change. Uh, and um, and I will say, I think what's really critical is is to call out the lobbyists and the media that are are uh, avoiding uh, um, uh, well avoiding, I guess, the reality of climate change and and and, and trying to to. Uh, um, you know, change the channel, so to speak, or uh, you know, try to vilify those that are that are speaking out about it. I mean, you know, as a um, as a as a millennial, as a as a younger Canadian, uh, you know, this idea that uh, that somehow um, you know we can sort of bury our head in the sands is is extremely concerning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I mean, I come from Canada's north, where we see the impacts of climate change. We've seen the way, uh, you know, the uh, the ground is uh, well, the permafrost is melting. We've seen the difference in terms of weather, in terms of wilderness uh, patterns, and uh, and I mean, we're seeing it all across the country. The wildfires in BC. Uh, the uh, flash floods uh, here in, uh, in well in the Ottawa area and in uh, parts of Quebec, um, you know this is for real. And many scientists have said the next three years are absolutely critical. Uh, and so I think that that uh, while it's important to talk about terminology, I think what's most important is to talk about uh, the need for for action and call out those that are slowing us down. No movement on that for you. That's fair. I can't yeah, agree I, with that. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean I don't think it's the words that are. 
are, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's the idea that's charged, right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And folks need to get with the program. Well, there's an urgency to it. And yeah. it, it, it's kind of like a piss or get off the pot situation, right? So yes, yes. But, uh, you know, that was one of, that was a very interesting point from one of my more PC uh, friends, progressive. Conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you grew up Greek. Okay, go. Cool. My, okay, my Greek is shit. Uh, <laughs> I try. And it's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> growing up in the Greek community as a woman, uh, was there anything unique about that for you? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growing up in northern Manitoba as well, mm-hmm. that sort of shaped your politics today? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I will say uh, definitely growing up Greek in northern Manitoba was very unique. So I, I um, was born and raised in Thompson in northern uh, Manitoba, a mining town. And it's actually a, a mining town that uh, many, many Greek immigrants helped build. Uh, when I, by the time I was born, many had left. Uh, and uh, in fact, there was one small Greek church and uh, just a few families. And over the years, more and more left, uh, some to go uh, to bigger centers, others to go back to Greece. Uh, and so I didn't go up, grow up with a Greek school. I didn't grow up with a Greek community center. Um, but I learned Greek at home. Uh, my uh, grandparents were able to come and visit us from Greece. So, uh, um, you know, on a every couple of years uh, and so we had that opportunity as well and for big events we'd go to Winnipeg and that was the Greek community I was most closely connected to uh, so I really learned um, uh, I guess for me it was it was uh, my, my mom both my parents uh, but uh, my mom did an incredible effort to uh, made an incredible effort for us my brother and I to be connected with our roots mm-hmm. even though we didn't have a community around us and I think that that effort is also emblematic of 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 the kind of uh, environment that Canada creates, that that there are ways of continuing to stay connected with your roots, um, with you know, with the language that uh, your mother tongue, uh, and, uh, and and to connect with Greek communities wherever they might be. And so, like I said, over the years, I connected with Winnipeg when I was in university. I taught Greek school, oh. very involved with the various efforts. Yeah, just like my big fat Greek wedding. I went to Greek school. Yeah. Oh, Greek, did you? Yeah, even though my Greek sucked, but yeah, I did. <laughs> Eight years, man. Sure, you have a lot of stories. Uh, so many stories. <laughs> I had stories too. I was a teacher, though. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I taught kindergarten and grade one. The kids were adorable. Cute. Uh, but um, but look, I mean, you know, for me, uh, I feel very strongly about uh, um, the fact that you know, I feel very strongly about my Greek heritage. I feel very strongly about the fact that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, first-generation Canadians. Both my parents were immigrants, uh, and I think that's an important part of Canadian identity that, that we need to uh, talk a lot more about. You know, oftentimes we talk about um, prime ministers, whether they were francophone or anglophone. Mm-hmm. Well, what about what about uh, uh, people that whose first language wasn't French or English, right? And now I'm, I'm uh, I am bilingual, French and English, and I think that's really critical. But my first language was neither of them; it was it was Greek, uh, and so you know, understanding that diversity uh, uh, and how important it is to our country, I think, is really critical. And 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 for me, it's been a very important part of my politics to be able to relate to diverse communities, immigrant communities, and and uh, first and second generation Canadians. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's cool. I get it. Yeah, yeah. you would. <laughs> Nick, Nikki. I mean, it's Nick, totally. Nikki, Nick, Nick. I know. It's Nikki, exactly like Nikki, the movie. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it's our name day on December sixth, somebody puts yeah. a clip of that. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. And she's from Winnipeg, so I'm a huge fan of my big fat Greek wedding. One and two. She's yeah. from Winnipeg. She is from Winnipeg, oh, Nia Vardalos. Yeah. From Toronto. Yeah. No, she is not. And I, I had the uh, great honor of teaching her niece and nephews at Greek school. Oh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so cool. 
You're like, you're famous. <laughs> right, yeah, like, you know, six degrees of separation to Hollywood. Yes, right, right. totally. Okay, so uh, I got the one minute cue, but I have two more questions. Uh, one of them is super important, and then one of them is about Andrew Scheer. Uh, so, yeah, so, so the super yeah. important one I'll go with first. Um, and it's uh, about multipartisanship. You know, society is increasingly multipartisan. Uh, millennials are the, now the biggest voting demographic. Something you've spoken to. Mm -hmm. We're notoriously swing voting demographic. We we as a cohort seem to have abandoned and eschewed partisan loyalty that was uh, mm -hmm. typical of the generations before us, uh, and vote more along issues mm -hmm. if we are thinking, and more along personalities if we are not. So um, one thing I just want to ask you about millennials and, and the new politics that is emerging is, do you see any issues where you might align yourself with people across the aisle and other parties, uh, in the Conservative Party, for mm. instance, or the Liberal Party, that you might champion with folks if uh, you become NDP leader? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, on an individual level, like there's, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with people from other parties where we agree, whether it's on ending gender-based violence, whether it's on, uh, um, you know, understanding the need to take on climate change, whether it's on the issue of precarious work in the millennial generation. I think where things get a little bit more complicated, though, is, uh, uh, is for some of those people to be able to actually move forward and be clear about their position within their own party. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's clear to me that Mr. Scheer uh, came out of a race that was... Uh, pretty extreme in its right-wing views. He himself has, has a track record of, of not being, uh, of being extremely socially conservative. Uh, and, uh, um, and so I'm not sure that, uh, um, I'm not sure what kind of common ground we might find going forward um, if, if, if he continues in that vein and if, and if his party continues in that vein. On the other hand, you have Justin Trudeau, who in the 2015 election talked about real change, talked about progressive ideas, and then has gone on to break his promises on electoral reform, on pipelines, on public services, on indigenous reconciliation. And, uh, and so while I think there's rhetorically, you know, common ground, uh, it's clear to me that when, uh, you know, when the um, uh, rubber hits the road, right. uh, that, uh, um, that they've actually tacked more to the right. Yes. Uh, so I, I certainly, I mean, you know, I've been an MP for almost 10 years. I see the, the worth of working with others from other parties, absolutely. Uh, but I think we need to be clear on, on uh, um, you know, it's not you know, clear on, on sort of the common, um, a common goal here. Uh, and, uh, and, and increasingly I'm not, I'm not sure that, uh, um, uh, that the other two parties are, are ones that we can, that we share that much in, in common, um, remains to be seen. Fair enough. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of homogeneity, uh, within parties, right? Um, Rhetorically, Justin Trudeau did support electoral reform, and he coasted to victory largely on that, Absolutely. in addition to other things. Yeah. I think he, my personal analysis is that he stole a lot of NDP support on the basis that, okay, if we vote liberal this time, they're going to implement electoral reform, and then we're going to have years of NDP governments. It's going to be great. Uh, I think it's what happened in part. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, now, of course, they, they've broken that promise, but there's obviously a lot of support for electoral reform within the Liberal Party. So, mm -hmm. you know, Trudeau aside, are there other Liberals that you would see yourself reaching out to in order to build a coalition there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think those those conversations need to happen when when there's something that, uh, that where there is so much common ground. Electoral reform is a perfect example. Uh, 
clearly many liberals felt very strongly about it, otherwise it wouldn't have been a key plank in their election. And, and I've met so many people, and especially people in our generation, uh, that have become uh, that very uh, angered and frustrated that that bro promise was broken. Yeah, I'm one of them. So, and I didn't vote for him, uh, but I, you know, I liked what he was doing. I liked what he was saying. I, um, no, I went Mulcair all the way. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Thank you. I, I liked Angry Tom. I liked Angry Tom when <laughs> Tom was angry. I liked Angry Tom too. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's passion, right? Yeah, exactly. It's passion. It's, yeah. It's a firebrand. He's like you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank so. You. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so last one, and then I'll, I'll let you guys go. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got stuck, but uh, it's the free speech thing. We're going there. Mm. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about this free speech thing. Yeah. Been riots. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big thing in the states where free speech is a constitutional right. For those who don't know, in Canada, we have freedom of expression as a charter right. A little different. Um, but similar. So um, everyone's in an uproar about this. And Andrew Scheer has said that he will pull funding from universities that don't support free speech. So uh, I want to ask you, what do you think he means by that? And um, what do you do about this issue? How do you approach this, mm -hmm. this free speech issue? Mm -hmm. Do they have a point? Uh, and moreover, what can we all do about this issue? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I'm very concerned about sheer statements on this front. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when many people uh, say these things on the right, uh, it's to allow space for hate speech and, and those that uh, pro uh, promote hate speech, mm -hmm. uh, and whether it's transphobic, whether it's racist, whether it's Islamophobic, uh, and uh, um, you know, and, and that's that's hate speech, and, and we have to call it for what it is. Um, I also think it's deeply problematic to uh, um, uh, uh, tamper with university funding based on uh, <laughs> uh, on on what what universities choose or choose not to do. I mean, academic freedom is, is critical. And uh, and also universities' uh, uh, ability to, to determine uh, um, uh, what's, uh, you know, what's right and wrong on their campuses and, and, and frankly respond to, uh, uh, to, to so many marginalized communities that are saying we, we won't tolerate this kind of language. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, it's, it's clear to me that uh, Scheer and the conservatives, like I said earlier, you know, inspired by Trump-like politics, Trump-like ideas, I mean, the kinds of things we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, and uh, and I, I don't think, first of all, I don't think there's, uh, there is as much an appetite in Canada, uh, particularly amongst young people. Um, you know, we, we've, and recent polls have showed we tend to be more progressive, particularly on social issues as, as young people here in our country. Uh, but, uh, but what I would say is, is um, uh, you know, if we're going to learn lessons from the U.S., and I see your sticker on your book here, um, you know, I think we should be looking to the likes of Bernie Sanders uh, and others who have said, like, look, you know, we need to take on uh, hate speech. We need to take on the politics of hate by coming together and addressing the common challenges that we face. Coming together and addressing the common challenges. Does that mean somehow coming together with likes of Andrew Scheer? Oh, no. <laughs> I would say more in terms of, uh, um, you know, coming together and, and, and uh, you know, to tackle Islamophobia, to tackle racism, to tackle inequality. And, uh, you know, and I do think, uh, you know, leaving the kind of divisive and, and uh, um, sort of um, hate baiting politics. Um, aside to really uh, you know, grapple with the, the big issues of our time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, not that my opinion super matters, but I do. It does matter. Cool. <laughs> uh, I have a question, though, you know, just bringing that conservative perspective, because I have been involved with them, uh, and that's a whole other story, but we'll get to that. So, um, yeah, at the event tonight. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. 
Um, okay, uh, you guys got to go. But do you think that there's been a bit of trigger happiness in terms of peak progressives shutting down what they perceive to be hateful speech and an overly far right leaning speech when in fact it isn't? Uh, well, I mean, I, I will say that uh, um, that what is what is very clear, though, is 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 the the rise of hate, uh, and 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 I would say in very violent terms. I mean, um, you know, what we saw in Charlottesville was an example. Uh, the mosque shooting in Quebec City, the rise of Islamophobia in our country, uh, and and while there may be sort of banter that 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 uh, uh, takes place on on, uh, uh, on social media. I mean, I think we, we need to be very clear that uh, um, that the politics of hate can kill. It does kill. People have died in the last year uh, because of uh, hate-fueled uh, um, agendas. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's really, I think, where we need to put our focus on is, is, uh, uh, is denouncing that kind of hate. And, and, uh, and like I said, you know, uh, calling for a more... Uh, um, uh, not just tolerant, but inclusive uh, kind of politics that seeks to uh, uh, to lift everybody up and, and to take on the big issues of inequality. Cool. And we'll both be calling on Andrew Shear to do that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear you too. I yeah. mean, it's clear to me from this interview. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Nick. Yeah. No. Thank you too, Nikki. It's been it's been great chatting with you. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Right on. Thank you.